It's amazing. And it's such a good truth. And if it weren't for that truth, I wouldn't be on this stage today. I applaud, I applaud the youth band. They did a terrific job. Let's give them another, another round of applause. So, great job, guys. Great, great job. Great job. Stellar. Um, if it weren't for, for the youth group in general, if it weren't for um, Jason Williams, if it wasn't for Josh Franklin, if it wasn't for Mike Franklin, if it wasn't for the leadership team that has poured into me consistently throughout my life, I would not be on this stage so I thank you guys so much. Y'all mean, y'all mean the absolute world to me, and I, I thank you for giving me opportunities like this. It means a lot. Another round of applause for them, please. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as, Mike, as Mike mentioned, I did, I did preach a couple weeks ago, and uh, right after I got done preaching, I had midterms uh, at school. So I preached, and then it was like my mind is, oh, no. Yeah, it was like that kind of, I guess. Now, my mind was locked right back on to school, and I was studying. I was hitting the books. I uh, probably should hit them a bit more because midterms kind of suck. But anyway, that's over now. That, that's over. That's over. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but then he asked me. He was like, can you preach again at the end of the month? And I was like, oh, no. I was like, I'm not prepared for this. I just My mind was on midterms. What do I do? And I said, Pastor Mike, we don't have anything on my heart. We don't have anything in my mind. I, I don't. I, you can like lob it to someone else, give someone else an opportunity. He said, he basically was like, no, you're doing it. And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> but he, he asked me, he said, I want you to go home and meditate. Think about this. He said, what is the one thing that's holding your generation back? What's the one thing that's causing your generation to stumble and to not know Christ? And the answer popped in my head immediately. And it's not just the same thing for youth. It's not just the same thing for adults. It's the same thing for the whole, the whole body of Christ in today's generation, but also the generations out of past as well. The thing that holds this generation back the most, in my opinion, is we want to be loved. We strive so much for love. We want to be loved and cherished and nourished. Leading psychologists have all agreed that the, that the feeling of being loved, the feeling of knowing that you're wanted and needed actually is one of the most required things for the human mind to be technically happy. We need love. That is the key, love. So today, that's what we're going to be talking about. In the, Bible, the majority of the New Testament, actually the New Testament itself is written in Greek. The majority of the Bible is, is written in Greek uh, when, you, when you translate to the Septuagint. But that's another story for another time. So today we're going to talk about the four types of love that are mentioned in the Bible. So in English, if I go up to someone and say, hey, I love you, you don't know if I mean like, hey, I want to have a relationship with you, hey, I, want, hey, I love you like a brother, or hey, I, I love you as a friend, you, you, know, you, don't, you don't know, you don't know. But in the Greek, Greek is so specific that they actually have different words that each mean love, that mean a particular type of love. So today we're going to talk about those four types of love, and we're going to walk through the Bible, and we're going to talk about the four different types of Greek, and we're going to study each, I don't know why I keep doing that, guys. I think it's my hands cupping. I don't know. I'm sorry about that. But we're going to focus on each individual type of love. Now, today, my, my, my you know, request of you guys is as I preach, as I speak on these different types of love, think and meditate. Which type of love do you have the hardest time receiving? You feel like you don't receive as much. Which is the hardest type of love that you think is hardest for you to give? What do you think is the most important type of love to you? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So that's the time I mentioned, just seeking generation. Seeking this love has caused spiritual blindness. I'm so, so excited. We're going to be talking about a lot of Greek today. I'm super excited because Greek is really cool because I'm a nerd. So I'm really, really excited, guys. Uh, let's get started. The first type of love. Next slide, please. Say it with me. Phileo. Phileo. One more time. Phileo. Phileo is friendship love. This is the type of love that you would say to... A buddy, like a buddy of yours. 
So for, for, for example, if I, if I go up to one of my friends and I would say, and I was Greek, I would say, hey, I phileo you, man. You know, it's, it's a friendship type of love. And friendship is important. Friendship is one of the most important types of love, one of the most important types of dynamics actually in life. Friendships are important. Look at media everywhere. You think about Facebook. If someone wants to look at your feed and someone wants to be involved in your Facebook, what do they do? They send you a what request? A friend request. The number four grossing TV show of all time behind MASH, Cheers, and Seinfeld is Friends. Friends are important. Friendship is important. With friendship comes unity. With friendship comes, you know, someone that you can rely on. That is why friendship is crucial in today. So today we're going to look at where phileo is mentioned in the Bible. You're probably wondering where. If you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. What's up with this mic, guys? I apologize again. I'm reading from the NASB because I love how it's worded. So Romans chapter 12, verses 10. It says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing Hospitality. So the word that the main word that we're going to look at in this set of verses is brotherly love. That phrase, brotherly love. Next slide, Jody. The Greek word for brotherly love is this, and you have all heard this word before. Say it with me. This, this is how you pronounce it in the Greek. Philadelphia. Say it with me. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. That's why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It literally comes from the word in Greek that means brotherly love. Philadelphia. Now what Paul is saying right here. He's saying, exhibit Philadelphia. Be fervent in spirit. Don't lag in diligence. So what does being a good friend look like? What does the friendship type of love look like? It is serving your brothers and sisters. It's not stabbing them in the back. It's being there when you need them, but it's also lifting them up in Christ and reminding them how important that they are to you, to this world, to the kingdom of God, and in general. Philadelphia is friendship. This is what we have to do to exhibit Philadelphia. And this is what Paul is trying to say here. The next type of love. Next slide, please. Say with me. Storge. Storge. Storge is familial love. It's parental love. This is a type of love that your mother or father would have for you and that you would have back your parent as well. Now, storge is very important, and psychologists have all agreed that storge is actually one of the most important forms of love that you can receive. Now, you might not think that. There are some people that have come, they're kind of, whoa, they don't do that. They do not do that. I've never heard someone do that before. I don't know what's wrong with this mic. Again, apologize. But, um, oh my gosh. Uh, you go up to people, they're kind of hard-headed sometimes, and they say, you know, well, I don't really need my parents' love. You know, that's not important to me. Just think about little things. When your mom or dad tell you, I'm proud of you, and you get that like burst of excitement, you're like, you're proud of me? What? Like, awesome. That is storge being exhibited and deposited inside of you. Storge. If you, on a, on, a, on a different note, if you've lost a parent before, if you had a mother or a father pass away, you know what the lack of storge is. You know. I'm sorry. Okay, can, is it trans? Is it good now? Good, good, good. Okay, cool. Never preached with a handheld mic before. This is different. Um, 
I use my hands a lot, so this is going to be interesting. Uh, but no, you, you, when you have a lack of parents in your life, that's a lack of storge, and you actually feel it. And that's why when, if you, you know, have had a parent pass away, there's such a deep void and such a form of grief in your life that you cannot explain because storge is being taken. And storge is hard to give back because you only have two parents. And there's also the scenario in which a mother or father was never in the picture. That's a leading scenario in the world today. And that is a complete taking away of storge. This is how important storge is. I have statistics to read y'all. So the U.S. Census Bureau has reported to us that 19.7 million children don't have a father figure at all in their home. That's not a guardian, not, not a father figure at all. Now these stats aren't just counting, uh, they're not just counting not having a father. Uh, they're also counting, you know, other scenarios as well. But what this is not including too, what this 19.7 million is not including is people without a mother. People without both parents. If we were to include those stats in there, the numbers would skyrocket. But that's not the important, I mean, it is an important stat, but that's not why that stat's important. Listen to this. Not having a father in the home affects children by making them all of these things. Listen. Four times greater chance of experiencing poverty. Seven times more likely to be pregnant or in a pregnant relationship as a teen. More likely to abuse drugs or alcohol. More likely to commit a crime. Two times more likely to drop out of high school. Two times more likely to be obese. And three times more likely to abuse gun ownership. Shooting up schools. Having guns that, when, when you shouldn't, illegally purchasing them, illegally trading them. Storge is crucial. The love that you receive from your parents is crucial. I'm about to start preaching at the parents a little bit. Parents, from this stat, we have a problem in America. It's not a father problem. It's not a mother problem. It's a storge problem. Kids are not feeling good. Why, why do you think we have so many school shootings nowadays? And then the kids who are shooting up the schools have parental issues. Do you ever notice that? Go to every single school shooting that has happened in the past year. Look up their family history. Look up their parental history. They have problems with each of their parents. Store J is crucial. Parents, you have a crucial, crucial, crucial role. You are pouring into the next generation. Store J is important. But where is it in the Bible? Where is it in the Bible? Next slide, Jody. We're going to read the exact same verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give, preferring to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So the word we're going to focus on is, or the phrase, I should say, is be devoted. Be devoted. Now the word storge does not specifically appear in the Greek. You never see storge appear in the Bible. Paul or any of the writers of the New Testament never wrote out storge, but they talk about it. So for example, if I was being discussed in the Bible, they would say the blonde kid with glasses that preaches. They wouldn't say Tristan Chambers. They would just describe me, but not specifically say my name. However, this word devoted, it has a particular word phrase. Jody, next slide, please. Everyone pronounces word with me. Philostorgos. Theostorgos. 
one of the only places that this appears, that, store, that any form of storge appears, and it's a combination of philo, which is a variant of phileo, what we just talked about, friendship love, and a variation of storge, storgos, and it's paired together into philostorgos. But what does this mean? What does this leave us to concur? I find it funny that the word devotion, the word devotion is a combination of friendship and parental love. As parents, you should be devoted to your child. Devoted to your child. But what does devotion mean? It doesn't just mean storge. It doesn't just mean being that parental figure that says you have to do X, Y, Z. No, no, no. It also is phileo. You have to be your kid's friend to exhibit storge, to, to exhibit devotion. You have to be your child's friend as well. It's not enough to just bring home the check. Fathers, it's not enough to bring home the check. Mothers, it's not enough to bring home the check. That is not storge. Storge is providing for your family, caring for your family, caring for your kids, pouring into your kids, but being their friend, being devoted to them, showing philostorgos. And I know, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Someone in here is like, this 18-year-old brat is lecturing me about how to be a parent. <laughs> I don't have children, no. But I know God's word. And I read God's word. And I'm obsessed with God's word. And I, I just dive deep into God's word. And this is what it says. Philostorgos. Parents, show philostorgos. If you want your child to be an exact image of the church, beating them over the head, disciplining them, is not going to do it. <laughs> be their friend. Phileo storge. Philo storgos. This is storge. The next type of love. Jenny. Everyone pronounce it with me. Eros. Eros. Eros is a type of love that is romantic love. It is sexual love. We get the word erotic from it. And eros is very, 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 very important and crucial to our society as well. Everyone, at some point in their life, will crave this love. Everyone. Every single person will crave that love. It's a, it's, it's a psychological fact. You will crave that love at some point in your life. And the media is obsessed with it. The media feeds off your want and desire for Eros, you think about any TV show, any book, anything you've ever written. It is based off of Eros and your want for Eros. You think of The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. If you watch that show, I have no words. It's a dumb show, guys. I know. It's a, that is a dumb show. I just watch it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Anyway, they feed off Eros. It's all about Eros, getting Eros. That is the point of the show. You think of the notebook, every single girl wants a Ryan Gosling in their life. And every single guy wants a girl that doesn't compare him to Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Everyone, this is Eros. Now, like uh, Storge, like I mentioned before, Eros is never specifically spoken or written. Paul and the other writers never wrote Eros out, but they do describe it throughout the Bible. And the main uh, part of the, uh, of the New Testament where Eros is really talked about is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where Paul really harps on this idea of Eros and what it means to have and to exhibit and to live with 
eros. Have, has anyone ever read the Bible about what it says about marriage? Paul talks about marriage in 1 Corinthians. You know what he says about marriage? Don't do it. He does. Paul in 1 Corinthians, I didn't put the verses in the slides or in my message because it's a whole chapter and a half worth of it. But Paul says, it is better for you not to get married. In fact, if you can go your life without getting married, don't. Don't do it. Why? Because it distracts you from kingdom ideas, from kingdom goals. It distracts you from living with Christ with all your heart. If you can go your life without getting married, Paul says, do not do it. Do not do it. But Paul says something else in there too. There's something about eros that is different. There's something about eros that is different from these other types of love. What Paul says about eros, most specifically, is eros makes us sin. It makes us sin. Now, the other loves can also cause you sin, but eros is something different, and there's a reason why. The sin of sexual immorality, the sin of giving into eros and doing things through eros. For example, adultery. For example, premarital sex. For example, homosexuality. Paul says these are not just sins in the world. Because every other sin, when you sin, you put sin into this world. But eros, when you do one of those sins, something, some sexual immoral sin, you don't just put sin into the world. You put it on yourself as well. It's called a sin not just out of the body, but a sin onto the body as well. This is where the message is going to change right here. This is where the dynamics are about to change. There's something heartbreaking about Eros in my generation that I have noticed specifically. There's something that I have noticed about Eros that breaks my heart. I see it mostly in, in, in girls. And I don't know too much. I'm sure it happens in the older generation as well. I just know it about my generation because I'm more familiar with people. What breaks my heart about Eros is that people will do whatever they have to knowing it's wrong to get it. It happens way more often than girls. But the quote, he will love me if I have sex with him. Heard that one before? I want to hear my, my guy friends say, or guys in general, is if I act this way, and I, and I sin, even though I know it's wrong, if I sin, I am then acting like this group of guys, which this girl is attracted to. <laughs> Satan does not want me to tell you all this. <laughs> he does not. He does not. Satan loves Eros. He feeds off of it. But this is, this is the truth. People will go out of their way to achieve Eros, even though they know it's wrong. Even though they know it's wrong. And I see it happen time and time and time and time again. I see girls come to me, Tristan, he broke my heart. Well, did you have sex with him? Yes. Why? He said he would love me. I see it happen continuously. And this is the problem with my generation, Pastor Mike. This is the problem with this generation as a whole. 
This is the problem, is that we will go so far seeking eros, seeking phileo, seeking storge, seeking love that will never fulfill, that will always disappoint, that will always come short, that will never leave you satisfied. We have gone seeking those three types of love that we have forgotten the fourth type of love in the Bible. We have forgotten the love that is unconditional, the love that was paid for you with precious blood. We have forgotten true, unconditional love. We have forgotten it. We have forgotten it. And if you don't know the type of love, well, I'm about to tell you. We have gone out of our way. We have sinned. We have fallen short. We have gone so far away to seek those three types of love. We have forgotten about that. Say it with me. Agape. Agape. The love of God. Agape. Agape, when you look in the Greek, you look at the Strongs, you look at what agape is. It's the love of God, but what does it really mean? It's unconditional love. It's all out love. Never failing. No conditions. You don't have to follow XYZ to earn this love. You don't have to do anything to earn this love. You don't have to sin to earn this love. Agape is unconditional. We have strayed so far, church, to seek the other three that we have forgotten agape. And you're probably wondering, how do I know agape is for me? You say it's unconditional, it's the love of God, and it's to everyone. How do we know? How do we feel agape? How do we experience agape? How do we see agape? The cross. The cross of Christ. What does that mean? That despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion, despite us seeking phileo, us seeking storge, us seeking eros, despite all of that, the God of heaven stepped down from glory traded his crown for a crown of thorns, was nailed to a cross, and bled and died the death that we deserve. But let me tell you guys something. That was love. The crucifixion, though, was that's not the embodiment of agape. Christ could have died in any way. Christ just died on a cross because that was what was the most humiliating death at the time. If Christ came in this time period, he would just take the electric chair. It's not the method of death. It's why. Why did Christ come? Why did God come into this world and die? Agape. Because he wants to live with you in eternity. He wants to live with you in eternity. When God looks at the universe, when God looks at the planets, when God looks at the stars, when God looks at the trees, the grass, the sky, the clouds, when God looks at nature, when God looks at creation, he says, that's not my favorite thing. He looks at you and he says, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. Throw it all away. In the end, I want you. Agape. The love of God. 
Now you're probably wondering, where is it in the Bible? Well, if I want to give you the smart aleck answer, I'm going to say the whole thing. People talk about the Bible at university, especially in my college. They talk about it as a religious text. No, it's a love story. It's a glorious love story woven together by writers who have been spoken to by the creator of the universe. It's a love story. So the smart aleck answer is the whole Bible is where agape is found. Read it. Read it. You'll see the love of God. But if we want to be more specific, we're going to look at, it's already on the screen, the most well-known religious phrase, religious quote, the most famous Christian verse, one of the most famous phrases in the history of the world. John 3.16. Listen to this. It says, For God so loved, agape, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And you never hear verse 17. You never hear verse or verse 317, you never hear it, and I would argue it's as important, if not more important, than the last. Listen, for God did not send his son to the world to condemn. I lost my place. To condemn the world, but to save the world. God did not come down to earth to say, You're a sinner, you're terrible, you don't follow me, you're you're burning. You're burning. Good luck. You don't believe in me? Good luck. No. 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 It's funny, we have preachers that will condemn when our Lord didn't. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny that nowadays we have preachers who will condemn people to hell like this when our Lord Jesus didn't? Isn't that funny? He didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. Agape. Agape. Has anyone ever heard the song, How He Loves, by David Crowder? Anyone? Great song. Very, very well-known song. It was on my mind as I was writing this message up, as I was thinking about love. That's the only song that I could think of is, Oh, How He Loves. And there's a verse in the song that was really sticking to me. I just kept thinking about it. It says, He is jealous for me. He is jealous for me. God gets, when you, when you go and you turn away from God and you walk away from God, God gets jealous. He's jealous for you. Actually, I didn't even talk about it. The word agape derives from a word that means prefer. God prefers you. But anyway, it says, he is jealous for me. His love is like a hurricane and I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And I just kept thinking about that verse. And I was like, I, I don't understand. Like, yeah, I understand that, like, God is powerful and we are, like, weak trees. But I was like, I don't understand, man. This is, these are palm trees in a hurricane. And it doesn't say, I am a palm tree. But when, you, when I started researching, I started looking into this phenomenon, I know it had to be. Hurricanes can blow up to 160 miles per hour really, really fast, really destructive. When a hurricane touches base and they touch land, it will destroy everything because the wind is so intense. But the palm tree doesn't get destroyed. 
it bends with the wind. It can bend all the way to 45 degrees. So if it's straight up, it'll bend all the way down here, and it will not break. And I was wondering, I was like, why won't it break? Why won't it shatter? Any other tree will shatter. Apparently, science says any other tree, tree will just snap when glory and when power of, the, of this wind just strikes it. But this tree stays up. Why? I started doing some more research about it. And I saw, this won't mean anything, but palm trees have fewer xylem cells. And I was like, well, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I'm not a biology major. I was looking into it. The reason that these palm trees stay up is because of their foundation. If you look at any other tree, a pine tree, an oak tree, whatever, its foundation on the inside is intact. It's strong. It's well put together, and it will not break. But this hurricane will destroy it. But the palm tree on the inside where there's supposed to be foundation, it's broken. A palm tree doesn't have foundation. It's shattered on the inside. Scientists describe it as a shattered foundation. And I thought about the lyrics again. His love is like a hurricane. I am a tree. Although we are broken on the inside, although we are shattered on the inside, although we should be destroyed, be wiped out, be cut in half by the, by the mercy, by the power, by the glory of the love of God. We don't break, but we stay intact. Just because you're broken does not mean that God's love is going to snap you because you're going to bend like that palm tree. Your broken foundation, although you should cripple, you should cripple under the power and the weight of the love of God. You don't. You don't. Because his love, his power is way mightier than any hurricane. And let me tell you, we, are, we as humans are way more broken than those palm trees on the inside. But we bend. And we experience it. And it upsets. And that try to make it righteous, but it frustrates me. That people on this planet will tell you otherwise. People will tell you, you're broken, so this love of God, this hurricane that's coming, that's going to touch base, that's going to destroy everything that's past, it's going to destroy you. Why? Because you're not good enough. You are broken. You will be destroyed by this wrath that's coming. You are going to be wiped out. And you know, one of the, one of the leading people that here say this is pastors. Pastors say, you're not good enough, so this, this hurricane, God, he's going to wipe you out. All this brokenness that you have, you're not good enough. You're not going to be able to experience God because you're too broken. You're too fragile. You're not put together. You're not going to bend because you're broken. You're going to snap. Well, those pastors, those people have not read my favorite verse in the entire Bible. They have not read the verse that has carried me through, that inspired this message. They have not read one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. I'm going to read it to you, but you need to understand, you are not too broken. You are not too shattered. You are not distraught. This hurricane is coming, but it's not going to snap you. Because God is love. This hurricane is love. And you're going to bend to it. My favorite verse in the Bible. 
my favorite. Romans chapter 8. We talked about it in Sunday school, which is amazing. I love how God works. Romans chapter 8. Paul asks a rhetorical question. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Can brokenness? Can weariness? Can anything? And listen to Paul's answer. He says, no, because in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, no financial status, no brokenness, no lack of storage, no lack of eros, nothing, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us, for we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Agape is here. You're not too broken, you're not too far gone, and you never will be. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Don't listen to those lies that people tell you. I just read it for you. Don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. You're not too broken. You're not too far gone. You never will be. I want to invite Mr. David up. He's going to do the invitation. And 